protesters in no rush to leave Parliament Hill. I didn't drive 3,600 kilometers to just have a letter handed to me to turn around and drive away. The warning with many trucks still parked and a promise to clear Ottawa streets by the weekend. I'll say it again. We want people to peacefully leave. But I can tell you that if they do not peacefully leave, we have plans. Lifting restrictions. And it could be the difference between many companies surviving or not. The new reality for businesses who can't wait to get back on track. And an attack on the coastal gas link pipeline. Millions of dollars in damage and workers threatened in a violent confrontation. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. There it is, a live shot from Ottawa after many warnings from police. Some people have been arrested, but many trucks remain parked in the nation's capital three weeks into anti-mandate protests. Good evening, everyone. Thanks very much for joining us. That's where we begin with breaking developments 21 days after the so-called Freedom Convoy rolled into our nation's capital Ottawa police are slowly stepping up enforcement. MPs will spend the weekend debating Justin Trudeau's controversial invocation of the Emergencies Act that sparked the change in tactics. Kamal Karmali has the latest. As the sun sets and the snow falls on day 21 of the truckers' protest in Ottawa, there are signs this day could be the last. Police move in descending on protesters, dispersing crowds. But not without some pushback and a handful of arrests. A very different looking downtown core in just the span of a couple of hours, just as Ottawa police had promised. What I can tell you is this weekend will look very different than the past three weekends. Police have now set up a perimeter around downtown Ottawa, including nearly 100 checkpoints where officers will question why people want to access the core. Those seeking entry to that secure area for a unlawful reason, such as joining a protest, cannot enter the downtown core. There was plenty of warning this was coming. It is time for you to go home. Earlier in the day, police left notes on trucks on how to claim vehicles that get towed, warning protesters to find child care services for their children should they get arrested and that their pets may get taken away. Eight-foot fencing erected around Parliament Hill and inside, a debate on the Emergencies Act rages on. We did it because the situation could not be dealt with under any other law in Canada. The government should not have the power to close the bank accounts of Canadians on a whim. The sitting is set to last for five days, with a vote on the motion to use the emergency powers expected Monday evening. Even if I lose my throat, why did they take my life away? While anger swells and patience runs thin, many of these protesters promise to stay put. Absolutely. The You're cops. Not going anywhere, though. I'm not going anywhere. I'm standing tall, I'm standing proud, and I'm standing free. I have no problem with jail. And on the other side of the country in B.C., only a handful of protesters remain at the Surrey border crossing, where hundreds once stood only a couple of days ago. And now Vancouver police say they've sent officers off to Ottawa to help with the situation there. Kamal Karmali, Global News. And we'll have much more on the COVID developments in B.C. in just a moment. But first, we have more breaking news for you, this time out of Houston, B.C., where anti-pipeline protesters have allegedly attacked workers and damaged the coastal gas link pipeline. We'll get right to Jordan Armstrong, who joins us live with the breaking details here in studio. Jordan, this is a major escalation in the protest against this project. Certainly is, Chris. We're not talking about light damage here. RCMP are calling it a calculated and violent attack with a multi-million dollar path of destruction. Have a look. These images were released by the Mounties and Coastal Gas Link late this afternoon. They show heavy damage to portable buildings and machinery. Here's the backstory. According to police, shortly after midnight, officers from Houston RCMP were called to the Martin Forest Service Road after Coastal Gas Link security reported violence at their work site, claiming some 20 people, some armed with axes, were attacking guards and smashing their vehicle windows. 41 kilometers up the forest road, RCMP claimed responding officers were met with downed trees, tar-covered stumps, spiked boards, fires, and people throwing smoke bombs and lit sticks at the police, injuring one officer. 
police are looking to identify uh, those that may be responsible at this time it would be remiss to to make a comment on who may be responsible for this as this investigation is ongoing. Certainly, this is very troubling, an escalation in violent criminal activity, and it could have resulted in serious injury or even death. A statement from Coastal Gaslink reads in part, quote, workers fled the site for their own safety and remain shaken by this violent incident. Fortunately, there were no physical injuries to Coastal Gaslink workers. Our work is lawful, authorized, fully permitted, and has the unprecedented support of local and indigenous communities and agreements in place with all 20 elected First Nation councils across the 670-kilometer route. Coastal GasLink is almost 60% complete, end quote. Still, the LNG pipeline does have a controversial history with blockades on Wet'suwet'en traditional territory in 2020, leading to numerous arrests and a string of rail and road blockades across Canada. Now, we just got a statement from Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth, and he says, quote, this destructive attack should be condemned by all in British Columbia. This is, of course, a developing story. We are chasing more reaction, and we'll have the very latest tonight on Global News at 11. Chris? Much more to come for sure. Thanks very much, Jordan. Well, the federal government is easing requirements to cross the border at the end of the month, but many are still asking to add in one more eased measure. That's right. They want to bring back the 72-hour short trip exemption. Richard Zussman has more. As Omicron-specific COVID-19 restrictions continue to ease across the province and country, there's still one standing. Everyone who enters Canada must provide a negative COVID-19 test. Those testing requirements is still one ingredient that is hurting the economy, hurting the flow of goods and, and, and people. Earlier this week, Ottawa did update rules, now adding a negative rapid test overseen by a professional to the already accepted negative PCR test at the border. But there are growing calls for Ottawa to do even more, including going back to what we saw in the fall, a testing exemption for anyone leaving and returning within 72 hours. They've started to talk about relieving those restrictions and I think that uh, the sooner they can get to that, uh, the better for all of us and certainly the best, best for the tourism industry. The time is ticking for the tourism sector, those testing requirements leading to booking reluctance. And clarity would go a long way to getting traveler dollars. We expect uh, people that are booking uh, trips from farther away, transborder and overseas, require a bit more uh, planning time. And so therefore, the sooner that we can get the restrictions rolled back, our testing requirements, the better it's going to be. There's hope. Health officials across the country have questioned whether those testing requirements are even necessary, while ensuring proof of vaccination is still in place. But one holdup continues to be a federal government distracted by ongoing protests. It's not the cost question, although that's frustrating for travellers. It's uh, another level of uh, precaution that I don't know is necessary at this point, and I, I don't believe that's the view of the public health office either. Another frustrating reminder, record-breaking gas prices. Canadians eyeing the savings on the other side of the border that would all be washed away with the cost and inconvenience of getting that negative test. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And here's a look at today's COVID-19 numbers. We have 744 people in hospital. 120 of those patients are in the ICU. There have been five more deaths recorded, and we have 782 new confirmed cases. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria now with more on a change to the order on workplace mm -hmm. safety. And Keith, this uh, potentially affects those people who are working from home. Yes, indeed. This affects a lot of people. One of the big uh, features of the pandemic is so many people, thousands of people have been working from home and the public health order previously allowed employers or stipulated that employers must allow people to work from home uh, if at all possible. But that order to change today, the health ministry releasing a statement today. Again, here's what they had to say, saying the pre previous version of the order contained a section that has been removed. That section required employers to allow workers to work from their private residence uh, if possible. 
given the nature of the work involved, unless the employer had an operational requirement to have the worker uh, at the workplace. So that's now changed as a result. The province and the provincial health officer recognize that every workplace is different. Many workplaces will be able to transition to in-person work again quickly. And finally finishes up by saying others may wish to continue with remote or hybrid models. Workplaces uh, and businesses are encouraged to choose the option that works best for them. So basically the employer is not obligated to allow someone to work from home, but every company is going to work it out differently. It's going to have a major impact, a positive impact, on places like downtown cores, which have a lot of office buildings where people have been staying away and not going to their usual lunch spots or their coffee shops and such for two years now. So it's, a, again, another example of opening up, and we're going to see more economic activity associated mm -hmm. with people now coming to work, taking transit in greater numbers, for example, as we open up, uh, even with Omicron variant still out there. So good news for a lot of businesses. Will be nice to see the vibrancy and energy returning to the downtown cores. Thanks, Keith. Well, many industries, as Keith mentioned, in B.C. have been waiting about two years for this day. Multiple restrictions finally lifted across the province. It allows event organizers to welcome vaccinated people back inside venues. Imadagahi has more on some of the stress that's finally being lifted. It's been two years, I think, since we've seen you at, at uh, the show. show yeah, yes. yeah. Only hours after the health orders restricting capacity at events in the province expired, eager RVers lined up to enter Abbotsford Tradex for perhaps the first unrestricted trade show in BC since March of 2020. To be able to touch and feel the trailer is one thing, and to look online is another. So to be able to, you know, see what you're going to be buying is a big, big thing. I think for some. Of that we have some of the booth vendors, um, trade shows is kind of what they do. It's their bread and butter. Do you need any help at all? Not yet. Not yet? And while indoor masks and vaccine cards remain for now, for organizers, 100% capacity gives them confidence, bringing back events like trade shows, expos and festivals. There is so many great not-for-profit organizations and small to medium-sized businesses that have really been hanging on by their very bitten down fingernails, hoping for this day to come. That next trailer up there, the Connect, that one will have uh, no bunks in it. And vendors it at these events right. rely heavily. How retrofitable is this sort of thing? Oh, it can be done. On introducing their brand with face to face interaction. <laughs> They're huge for our business. You know, this sets us up for the entire year. Uh, from an RV show, we'll, we'll have uh, contacts and, and leads that we get to work on throughout the entire year. So without them, it you know, it's a struggle. Two years since we've been here, so we know. It's really good that it's back. So after two years, perhaps the realization that the abundance of events like this in BC may have been taken for granted. And now that they're back in full capacity... To be able to have them and support them is going to be so critical as we go through the next weeks and months to, to ensure that they are there for another generation of British Columbians to enjoy. Amadagahi, <laughs> Global News. Restrictions on fitness centres have been lifted, but Interior Health Authority is still going after the owners of a gym that openly defied a number of health orders. Interior Health claims Iron Energy Gym regularly broke the orders around vaccine passports and mask use and defied the gym closure order, which was issued in mid-December during the Omicron wave. In a B.C. Supreme Court filing... IHA alleges willful non-compliance with health orders and asks for an injunction to shut the facility down. Global News reached out to the owners of Iron Energy Gym about the legal action, but they declined to comment today. There are some new developments in a terrible collision that tragically led to the death of an infant. The child was standing on a street corner with her father when one of the vehicles jumped the curb. Why, they say the driver responsible may never face justice in just over a minute. Alone on an island, the popular merchant being pushed out of one of Vancouver's iconic attractions and why she says it's so unfair. Coming up. And remember the Syrian refugee stuck in an airport for months? Wait till you see how he's making the most of his chance at a new life in Canada. Later. Right now, though, the parents of a little girl struck and killed by a car in downtown Vancouver say they're not sure they'll ever see justice after finding out criminal charges in the case will be very difficult to prove. 23-month-old Ocean was in her father's arms on the sidewalk when the pair was hit. 
Romina Dea has the latest in a Global News exclusive. This is how small her little bum was. This is a diaper. It's so small. Two pounds, four ounces. A terrifying entry into the world. <laughs> Baby Ocean almost didn't survive. Yeah. But the two-year-old was a fighter. I miss bath time. She was a water baby. I love swimming. And uh, she would always climb into the bathtub, so sometimes I'd break out crying in the bathtub. I love you. She was also um, a miracle baby. I have a hard time conceiving. I haven't been able to hold most of my pregnancies and I've lost multiple pregnancies. She was my first baby to live and she was taken away by a car. Fond memories engulfed by dark moments when Ocean's parents, Star and Michael, remember their daughter's last day. That's the hardest thing to stomach is you're doing everything right, but yet somehow, quite literally, um, she gets ripped out of her, in my arms. July 6th, Ocean in her dad's arms, waiting to cross the street near the law courts in downtown Vancouver. The excited little girl waving to mom, who had just finished work. I see it before I go to sleep. I'm afraid to go to sleep. Star watching helplessly from across the street when two vehicles smash into each other. The SUV mounts the sidewalk and crashes into Michael and Ocean. The toddler dies instantly, her dad seriously injured. A man arrested on scene but released. No charges laid. Seven months later, Ocean's parents say they've been warned. Criminal charges will be very difficult to prove. The end result could be a traffic offense. I felt sick to my stomach. I felt like my daughter's life had no value. I was frustrated, I was angry, I was hurt, I was disgusted in our system. We still don't know the circumstances surrounding the deadly crash. Vancouver police will only tell us they will soon be recommending charges to Crown Council, but they would not go into specifics. It will then be up to Crown to decide if any charges are laid. We've been waiting, 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 and there was all this pressure on us that we're going to get charges. It ended up almost essentially falling apart at that moment. This one was her favorite. Star and Michael place a new toy in Ocean's crib every month as a way to remember her spirit. You can't bring it back. You can't bring her back at all. Robbed of parenthood, the couple says there must be serious consequences for what happened to their only child. Don't let our daughter's life be lost and someone just receive a slap on the wrist. Romina Dea, Global News. Up next, new technology to protect condo towers. More than half of the claims experienced by Stratus involve water damage. A BC builder shows off innovations that can prevent millions of dollars in damage. And it's tax scam season, the best way to protect yourself. Coming up in Consumer Matters. Traffic is steady over here in both directions at the Alex Fraser Bridge after clearing an earlier northbound problem. Just expect delays during the overnight hours for maintenance. Sussex Insurance are your community auto plan experts. For questions about recent ICBC changes or to find a location near you, visit sussexinsurance.com today. Trish Jewison and Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. One of Canada's largest condo developers says it's installing a system that can drastically limit the impact of water damage. And with condo insurance rates skyrocketing, that's raising questions about whether government should make that technology mandatory. Ted Chernecki reports. Just about every condo owner knows somebody who has lived through this nightmare, if not themselves. It doesn't take much for someone higher up in a building to make your life miserable. We estimate that more than half of the claims experienced by Stratus involve water damage. So at a cost of about 3 to $4 million per tower, Concord Pacific is starting to harness new technology like water flow sensors along main pipelines in a building. If they detect a problem, they'll report wirelessly to those who need to know. So in other words, if there's a unique or an anomaly in the water flow, it can report to those people, they can make a decision and remotely actually shut off the water to the building. 
Time is everything when it comes to minimizing water damage. You'll notice in some of the newer buildings, those fire sprinklers are now recessed into the ceiling. Just an accidental bump of one of those can send problems cascading down. Sprinkler head, if it flows, can release up to 60 gallons of water per minute. That can travel across the floors and down the floors and do a significant amount of damage. As buildings get taller, those elevators are more important than ever. So the new design includes effectively building a raincoat around the cabin. A sensor at the bottom of the shaft, if it detects pooling, it automatically sends all elevators to the top to reduce risk. If the elevators go down, uh, the inconvenience to the owners uh, while their elevators are repaired is significant. They've got to hike up and down the building. So you really don't want to be damaging the elevators. Also, they're incredibly expensive to repair. If this works as planned, could these measures become part of a new provincial or city building code? It's about engagement with the insurance industry, about what will reduce that damage that's driving the strata insurance costs, and also working with builders to say, what can we do here that, won't, uh, that will maximize the insurance benefit uh, while minimizing the impact on building cost? The added benefit of any water damage mitigation, theoretically at least, they should lead to lower insurance premiums for condo owners. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Tax season is around the corner, and once again, one of the most persistent tax scams is making the rounds. That's right. The CRA scam continues because it works so brilliantly, preying on the vulnerable. And Consumer Matters reporter Andrew joins us with tips to protect yourself and the people you love. That's right, Chris. Thank you. From fake CRA agents pressuring you to hand over money to scammers claiming they are issuing you a refund, the Better Business Bureau wants taxpayers to be extra vigilant. Canadians are being encouraged to file their tax returns electronically and as soon as possible when online. Filing opens up on February 21st. However, the Better Business Bureau says while filing online is convenient, it also widens the net of opportunity for scam artists to target taxpayers. When filing taxes, the BBB says to watch out for phishing emails with malicious links, fake CRA websites or phone calls, text messages or direct messages through social media platforms asking for personal information. Sometimes the fraudsters are so savvy they'll provide a fake badge number or have their caller ID appear from Ottawa. Also, watch out for tax identity theft. This happens when scammers use your social insurance number to file a tax return in your name and collect your refund. Never ever give your personal information unless you can validate who it is that you're talking to. Um, The CRA will never ever contact you requesting that information. Usually what will happen is they might send you some sort of registered letter. You can then confirm the communication that you've gotten is from the CRA and then reach out to them directly um, and get the information that you need or give them the information that they need. Uh, But the bottom line is, is really... Um, personal information is information you should guard and you shouldn't be giving it to anyone that you cannot confirm the identity of. To avoid being scammed, only deal with trustworthy tax preparation services. The CRA will not give or ask for personal or financial information by email or ask you to click on a link. And the CRA will not demand immediate payment by Interact, e-transfer, Bitcoin or prepaid credit cards or gift cards going Forward, use unique and complex passwords for your CRA and online banking accounts. And the CRA will not threaten you with arrest or a prison sentence. In addition, you might want to sign up for email notifications from the CRA. That way, if your address or direct deposit information has been changed, you will be notified. And if you have been scammed, contact your local police and report the incident to the Better Business Bureau so you can help warn others. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters.gov. Globalnews.ca. All right, thanks, Anne. Well, we've been reporting for some time now on a shortage of workers, largely the impact of the pandemic, and it's only expected to get worse. The BC government says it's trying to plan for the future to prevent an avalanche of unfilled skilled jobs predicted over the next decade. John Hua reports. The gears are already in motion. As the province lays out a path forward to rebuild BC's economy out of this pandemic and into the future. We've taken the learnings from the pandemic, from the floods, the fires, all the challenges we've faced over the last two years. That includes focusing on the right blend of green growth and equal opportunities, contributing to a diverse economy that includes local agri-food companies 
like Canadian co-packing, looking to grow into foreign markets such as Asia. If government help us, I know they're looking for this opportunity, specifically in BC. Other sectors include natural resources, life sciences, and indigenous tourism. Indigenous peoples and leaders must be full partners of all aspects of our economy. Whether it's the agri-food sector or skilled trades, if this province wants to see economic growth, it's going to need people to do the work. In fact, BC plans to fill one million jobs over the next 10 years. Without a strong, skilled workforce, our economy will sputter and stumble. Hoping to spark the interest of a new generation of workers, a nearly $137 million investment to build a trades and technology campus at BCIT. Highly skilled workers are key for BC industry and we will provide those. BC will also need to bolster its labour force by bringing people in. Affordable housing, subsidised childcare and better transit need to be selling points, not stalled promises. So far, the plan lacks specifics and funding details. Still, Hamid Asli hopes his health food company can give BC's economy a boost. There is tons of opportunity. It will take several factors all moving in the right direction to make sure BC's economic path forward doesn't fall short. John Hua, Global News. Up next, a beloved newsstand forced to close. This store has been here for over 30 years. The tuck shop at Granville Island is going away and the owner and her customers are not happy about it. And a mother and baby on an epic medical journey before the child was even born. How it all worked out later. One of Canada's largest condo developers says it's installing a system that can drastically limit the impact of water damage. And with condo insurance rates skyrocketing, that's raising questions about whether government should make that technology mandatory. Ted Chernecki reports. Just about every condo owner knows somebody who has lived through this nightmare, if not themselves. It doesn't take much for someone higher up in a building to make your life miserable. We estimate that more than half of the claims experienced by Stratus involve water damage. So at a cost of about 3 to $4 million per tower, Concord Pacific is starting to harness new technology like water flow sensors along main pipelines in a building. If they detect a problem, they'll report wirelessly to those who need to know. So in other words, if there's a unique or an anomaly in the water flow, it can report to those people, they can make a decision and remotely actually shut off the water to the building. Time is everything when it comes to minimizing water damage. You'll notice in some of the newer buildings, those fire sprinklers are now recessed into the ceiling. Just an accidental bump of one of those can send problems cascading down. Sprinkler head, if it flows, can release up to 60 gallons of water per minute. That can travel across the floors and down the floors and do a significant amount of damage. As buildings get taller, those elevators are more important than ever. So the new design includes effectively building a raincoat around the cabin. A sensor at the bottom of the shaft, if it detects pooling, it automatically sends all elevators to the top to reduce risk. If the elevators go down, uh, the inconvenience to the owners uh, while their elevators are repaired is significant. They've got to hike up and down the building. So you really don't want to be damaging the elevators. Also, they're incredibly expensive to repair. If this works as planned, could these measures become part of a new provincial or city building code? It's about engagement with the insurance industry, about what will reduce that damage that's driving the strata insurance costs, and also working with builders to say, what can we do here that, won't, uh, that will maximize the insurance benefit uh, while minimizing the impact on building cost? The added benefit of any water damage mitigation, theoretically at least, they should lead to lower insurance premiums for condo owners. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Tax season is around the corner, and once again, one of the most persistent tax scams is making the rounds. That's right. The CRA scam continues because it works so brilliantly, preying on the vulnerable. And Consumer Matters reporter Andrew joins us 
with tips to protect yourself and the people you love. That's right, Chris. Thank you. From fake CRA agents pressuring you to hand over money to scammers claiming they are issuing you a refund, the Better Business Bureau wants taxpayers to be extra vigilant. Canadians are being encouraged to file their tax returns electronically and as soon as possible when online. Filing opens up on February 21st. However, Better Business Bureau says while filing online is convenient, it also widens the net of opportunity for scam artists to target taxpayers. When filing taxes, the BBB says to watch out for phishing emails with malicious links, fake CRA websites or phone calls, text messages or direct messages through social media platforms asking for personal information. Sometimes the fraudsters are so savvy they'll provide a fake badge number or have their caller ID appear from Ottawa. Also, watch out for tax identity theft. This happens when scammers use your social insurance number to file a tax return in your name and collect your refund. Never ever give your personal information unless you can validate who it is that you're talking to. Um, The CRA will never ever contact you requesting that information. Usually what will happen is they might send you some sort of registered letter. You can then confirm the communication that you've gotten is from the CRA and then reach out to them directly um, and get the information that you need or give them the information that they need. Uh, But the bottom line is, is really... Um, personal information is information you should guard and you shouldn't be giving it to anyone that you cannot confirm the identity of. To avoid being scammed, only deal with trustworthy tax preparation services. The CRA will not give or ask for personal or financial information by email or ask you to click on a link. And the CRA will not demand immediate payment by Interact, e-transfer, Bitcoin or prepaid credit cards or gift cards going Forward, use unique and complex passwords for your CRA and online banking accounts. And the CRA will not threaten you with arrest or a prison sentence. In addition, you might want to sign up for email notifications from the CRA. That way, if your address or direct deposit information has been changed, you will be notified. And if you have been scammed, contact your local police and report the incident to the Better Business Bureau so you can help warn others. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters.gov. Globalnews.ca. All right, thanks, Anne. Well, we've been reporting for some time now on a shortage of workers, largely impact of the pandemic, and it's only expected to get worse. The BC government says it's trying to plan for the future to prevent an avalanche of unfilled skilled jobs predicted over the next decade. John Hua reports. The gears are already in motion. As the province lays out a path forward to rebuild BC's economy out of this pandemic and into the future. We've taken the learnings from the pandemic, from the floods, the fires, all the challenges we've faced over the last two years. That includes focusing on the right blend of green growth and equal opportunities, contributing to a diverse economy that includes local agri-food companies like Canadian co-packing looking to grow into foreign markets such as Asia. If government help us, I know they're looking for this opportunity, specifically in BC. Other sectors include natural resources, life sciences, and indigenous tourism. Indigenous peoples and leaders must be full partners of all aspects of our economy. Whether it's the agri-food sector or skilled trades, if this province wants to see economic growth, it's going to need people to do the work. In fact, BC plans to fill 1 million jobs over the next 10 years. Without a strong, skilled workforce, our economy will sputter and stumble. Hoping to spark the interest of a new generation of workers, a nearly $137 million investment to build a trades and technology campus at BCIT. Highly skilled workers are key for BC industry and we will provide those. B.C. will also need to bolster its labour force by bringing people in. Affordable housing, subsidised childcare and better transit need to be selling points, not stalled promises. So far, the plan lacks specifics and funding details. Still, Hamid Asli hopes his health food company can give B.C.'s economy a boost. There is tons of opportunity. It will take several factors all moving in the right direction to make sure B.C.'s economic path forward doesn't fall short. John Hua, Global News. Up next, a beloved newsstand forced to close. 
This store has been here for over 30 years. The tuck shop at Granville Island is going away and the owner and her customers are not happy about it. And a mother and baby on an epic medical journey before the child was even born. How it all worked out later. After a super busy afternoon commute, traffic over here at the Massey Tunnel has finally eased off, especially for northbound traffic out of Delta. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison and Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Well, it's always difficult to let go of any fixtures in any community, but many customers of a longtime newsstand on Granville Island aren't ready to say goodbye. The store's lease is not being renewed, and that's forcing the well-known tuck shop off the island. Nitu Garcha has the details. For more than 30 years, customers have been getting what they need at Granville Island's only convenience store. I write their name on the top so they'll know where to find it. But the smoke shop's owner is being forced to close the lid on the operation and regulars aren't happy about it. She's looked after us for a very long time, so we're sad for her. The owner, Ning Chen, got an unexpected call on Friday. Thank you. Saying her lease won't be renewed. We bought this store in 2013 and we invest a lot of money. Her lease expired in 2019. She says she repeatedly asked to renew but was put off and reassured it was only because staff were busy. When I heard the news, I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. And his misleading has caused me to stay here during the pandemic, paying the rent every month. For uh, the, the people who work in the market, uh, it's, it's very important. People need something like this. There's nothing like this anywhere near you. Now supporters are offering to sign a petition for her to stay. The landlord is Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, which appointed general manager Tom Lancaster, who started in 2020. If there was disrespect that, that is felt, I feel terrible about it. Lancaster says this business was offered federal rent relief during the pandemic and the 30-day period to leave was doubled. Whether or not the business was able to make it beyond COVID is up in the air completely. There's a, a lineup of folks who want an opportunity to try out their new business. Uh, mom and pop, young people, lots of folks who are banging on the door. He says the shop doesn't align with the Granville 2040 vision and the decision was made in the week before the notice was served. We're not currently contemplating other leases not being renewed. Meanwhile, Chen says she's likely going to have to shut down for good. Oh, I feel um, kind of uh, hopeless. <laughs> and I'm single mom. I'm vulnerable. Nitu Garcha, Global News, Vancouver. A BC mother wants to thank the healthcare professionals at St. Paul's Hospital for saving her life and the life of her unborn baby. As Erin MacArthur reports, she needed risky heart surgery just weeks into her pregnancy. Merritt, what are you doing? Not quite a month old. Merritt Biblo, blissfully unaware of the harrowing journey he and his mom have already been on. Okay. It all started when his mom was a baby. Sheena Biblo was born with a congenital heart defect and needed surgery as an infant to fix a narrowing of her aortic valve. I knew one day I would need a valve replacement because my valve, when they fixed it as a baby, wasn't perfect. Although she continued to see specialists into adulthood, Morris, you going to play with Merit? There were no issues with her first pregnancy and nothing to indicate the second would be any different. But unrelated to the pregnancy, her aortic valve became infected. She was so sick, she was airlifted to Vancouver. She needed surgery immediately. It was quite clear there was no option. She really had to go to surgery. She was going to die without it. Open heart surgery, risky enough. The fact that Sheena was 15 weeks pregnant added a whole new layer to the complexity. St. Paul's Hospital, home to the province's only cardiac obstetrics program. A team of specialists able to assess these types of high-risk pregnancies and in rare cases, perform surgery. But with any procedure that requires a heart-lung bypass, there was significant risk to the fetus. It was my only chance, the baby's only chance, and we just had to do what we had to do, and our faith really helped us get through it as well. The surgery was a success, but the new artificial valve required Sheena to take blood thinners, which would increase the risk associated with delivery. 
Her care team monitored her throughout the rest of her pregnancy, and she had to be weaned off her medication as the due date approached. Now that's the, the big advantage of this program that we have. There was a lot of planning that went on, multiple meetings, and we put together a detailed care plan. Despite surviving his mom's surgery, Merritt was born January 24th, 6 pounds, 4 ounces. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Still ahead, the man in the airport soaring to new heights. It's, it's amazing because I used to live in the desert in one of the hottest spots on earth. How this Syrian refugee is making the most of his Canadian opportunity. Also ahead, why wood pellets might not be the sustainable source of energy many had hoped. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. More calls tonight for the government to investigate BC's wood pellet industry to stop what critics are calling a monopoly in the making. As Paul Johnson reports, a coalition of critics is sounding the alarm about the growing influence of a UK energy giant. When Canada's leaders flew to Scotland last fall to talk about ways to cut carbon emissions, one intriguing fact is that just a few hours drive south of Glasgow is the Drax power station, which burns millions of tons of wood pellets every year, including wood from BC's forests. Drax is now the largest owner of wood pellet facilities in British Columbia. Resource policy analyst Ben Parfit has been tracking Drax's recent expansion in BC. As the pellet industry gets more and more uh, concentrated in Drax's hands, that we're likely to see increases in the amount of trees that are being logged to turn directly into pellets. That's in our opinion, bad for the climate, it's bad for the environment, and it's bad for working people in the province. It, uh, you know, it, it basically is a few people at the, at the plants, and, that, and that's it. That doesn't create a ton of jobs. That's union official Scott Doherty of Unifor, one of two unions that's joined Parfit and the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives in calling on the Federal Competition Bureau to review Drax's growing control of the wood pellet industry. But the view from the industry is quite different. Between coal and Drax says its investments in BC are done sustainably and that wood pellets allow them to generate power without burning coal. And an industry spokesman told Global News that it's simply not true that whole trees are being cut to feed the pellet mills, something that was backed up Thursday by none other than the minister responsible for forests herself. They're going to utilize that what... A lot of people call waste wood that's left in the in the forest. It actually benefits uh, the forest and benefits the province in the sense that it's it's utilizing those slash piles that are left in the forest that would otherwise be burned. While there may be disagreement about the scope and exact source of the pellets, one certainty is that the UK's biggest power plant runs on wood and has taken steps to get more of it from BC. Paul Johnson, Global News. All right, let's quickly check in with Christy as we get closer to the weekend. What are we expecting in weather? Well, we're going to start off with a little bit of wet weather. We're going to talk about that, but there are certainly some bright spots this weekend that I can't wait to show you. First, though, here's a look at a photo from Warren Lowe. This is near Green Lake. He captured this, the snow moon, which was captured last night. Gorgeous shot. Thanks, Warren, for that one. All right, so we are going to see similar conditions tomorrow, like what we saw today, mainly cloudy, a little bit drizzly, so bring your rain jacket just in case. But really, the main event will shift further south into our region on Saturday. That will bring rain to our region and higher elevation areas will see snowfall. So we're talking about 10 to 20 millimeters for Saturday. Again, Friday's just drizzly. This is Saturday that we're expecting the majority of that moisture. Uh, so a good travel day tomorrow, although we are going to see some flurries, it's not going to be as bad as what we'll see on Saturday. I know a lot of people will be traveling uh, Sunday and Monday, though, look pretty nice. All right, so there's your Friday, everyone. Certainly some breaks of blue sky to the far south, showers in areas like Revelstoke. Uh, for our region, cloudy, drizzly, 
more sunshine though across the east coast of Vancouver Island and in Victoria. Saturday is certainly the wet day, but we come out of it nicely Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And in fact, we could see it on Wednesday as well. It'll be cold at night, but nice and warm in that sunshine to near seasonal values. And I'll leave you with tonight's center windows weather window, which is looking out over Osuyus. Thank you to Greg really from this for this. This is when we had the full moon yesterday, so it really lit up the city. Gorgeous shot. Thanks, Greg. Beautiful for sure. Thanks, Christy. All right, let's bring in Squire now, see what's coming up in sports. Squire? We'll talk about Quinn Hughes, who returns tonight, how Jack Rathbone survived a rather nasty hit last night for Abbotsford, and we'll show you the Whitecaps' new clothes. Can't wait. Sounds good. Also, how a Syrian refugee starting a new life in Canada is paying it forward. little fashion show off the top squire whitecaps like to change their uniforms a lot so this is uh what they sent us today see the blue with the hoop i always thought it'd be cool if th- one third of the players had bell the other third had biv and the other third had the bow <laughs> on their shirt now <laughs> you know there you go that'd be kind of cool it's a anyway throwback. yeah it is a throwback and so is that uniform in many yeah. ways too okay so for the first time since uh, Feb 1st, uh, Quinn Hughes will be playing for the Vancouver Canucks tonight in San Jose. He's been in COVID protocol down in the U.S. where he caught it. And uh, although he didn't actually feel that bad the whole time. Despite the layoff, he'll play a lot tonight. As far as whether he'll be able to play Saturday in Vancouver against Anaheim, well, we asked Bruce Boudreau and he said this about that. The Canucks did manage to win two out of three games without Quinn Hughes, but that would be a tough pace to maintain without their top defenseman. It's been 16 days since he last played. He did manage to skate hard at his home in Michigan to stay in shape, and he literally felt no ill effects from his bout with COVID, so Hughes expects to play a lot tonight. I've done this before, you know, last year when I we you know had 14 days of quarantine and then two practices and then... Um, we had to jump in against Toronto and uh, it feel better now than I did then. So I think I'll be fine. And, um, you know, probably just keep him short in the first and then, you know, go from there. Hughes will once again be paired with Luke Shen, who, like everyone, is impressed with Quinn's offensive abilities. But Hughes's noticeable improvement defensively this year will also give the club an extra boost. Competing really hard in the D zone, um, you know, strong for the net and, and uh, winning a lot of, you know, 50-50 pucks in the corner. So he's getting better here as we go. And uh, like I said, he's a, he's a huge part of things and, and uh, our success around here. So we're, we're pretty pumped to have him back. Since Hughes tested positive for COVID in the U.S., he stayed down there rather than come up to Canada to quarantine because less restrictive protocols in America at least allows Hughes to be in the lineup tonight in San Jose. The Canucks begin a three-game homestand Saturday versus Anaheim. Hughes' status for that game is still uncertain. I have been told he's on the plane coming home. So as to whether he can play Saturday, I don't know yet. But um, I know he's coming on the plane back home with us. Yeah, it's never easy watching, especially, you know, I felt healthy and I felt good. You know, I didn't even have a cold or any symptoms, so that was the most frustrating part. But I, um, like I said, I'm glad this is behind us and I'm ready to go. Jack Rathbone had a scary moment in last night's game between Abbotsford and Bakersfield in the American Hockey League. He was hit from behind into the boards by Colton Sevier, and he ended up in hospital overnight, but he was able to get back with the team this morning. Here is what happened. And Sevier was tossed, and so he should be. That's ridiculous. That's a long run to pound some guy face first into the glass. And Rathbone was down for about 10 minutes. They had to take him out on the stretcher, as you can see, in hospital overnight, but the doctors have cleared him, and so he's back with the Canucks today. Number 28 in this picture is Vancouver Island's Micah Zandi-Hart, who became the first ever BC-born and trained player to win Olympic gold with Canada's women's hockey team alongside her as team captain Marie-Philippe Poulin, the one who scored two goals last night in that win over the U.S. She now has three gold medals in her Olympic career. The Canadian offense scored more goals than ever before in the Olympics, but against the U.S., the real hero was goalie and Renee Debian because in those two games against the Americans in the round robin and the gold medal game, Canada was outshot 93-48. They won both of them thanks to some great goaltending by Debian. 
Uh, Canada and England, women's soccer from England. They're playing in the Arnold Clark Cup, and this is in the uh, first half. And this is a nice goal by Millie Bright. That's the volley, one nothing for England. But Canada would tie Janine Becker, and this is even better. Janine Becky, top corner. Janine Becky, brilliant. 1-1 the final. Canada plays uh, Germany on Sunday. Well, I want to show you this. Dustin Johnson's in the bunker. Now, a pro does this one every 10,000 times. We do it one every 10 times. That is nasty. Yep, yep, get the sand off your club if you're going to do this again. Nope, change clubs entirely. Wipe this down. That was the problem. Anyway, the leader is... Um, Walking Neiman at minus eight, and this is horrible. The iconic clubhouse and the, one of the most historic golf courses around. Oakland Hills, just out of the side of Detroit, burnt down. This club has hosted six U.S. Opens, three PGA Championships, and a Ryder Cup. The good news is nobody was hurt in the fire. The bad news, there was a lot of memorabilia inside that clubhouse. Most of it destroyed, I'm guessing, in this fire. Hopefully some of it can be saved. Oh, there yikes. you go. All right. Thanks, Squire. Up next, a Syrian man's journey to Fort St. John with a long stopover stuck in a Malaysian airport and how he's embracing his new country. Well, Fort St. John is a long way from Syria, but for Hassan Al-Kantar, it is a place he is now proud to call home. And to say thanks, he's giving back to the community in many ways. As Jay Durant shows us on This Is BC, Al-Kantar's efforts to get here were extraordinary. With frost in his beard and the crunch of snow underfoot, Hassan Al-Kantar is experiencing his first true Canadian winter. Hey, buddy. It's amazing because I used to live in the desert in one of the hottest spots on earth. For the past eight months, Hassan has been living in Fort St. John, enjoying everything northern BC has to offer. I love it when some Canadians call me and say, well, you are experienced a part of Canada we never did experience before. I lived at the airport for seven months. You may remember Hassan's story from 2018, a Syrian refugee who spent seven months at a Malaysian airport, followed by two months in detention, before being privately sponsored for asylum in Canada. I never doubted for a moment that we would get him here. He was a barista when he first arrived, but working with the Red Cross has been his true calling so far. His way of giving back to the community and show Canadians they were not wrong in giving him this chance. Because of them, my life and maybe my family's life uh, will be changed forever. He has made many friends in Canada, but is still very much alone. His entire family is still in Syria. He hasn't seen them in 14 years, and they want to know everything about his new country. Did you say they ask about Tim Hortons? Yes. Uh, they know all about Tim Hortons. They uh, know all about maple syrup. Hassan loves Canada, but not necessarily everything that comes with it. The Canadian beer, I'm not a huge fan of it. Uh, I pretend that I love maple syrup, but I don't actually. But this past winter, he has seen the northern lights and his first moose. Look at that. These are the Canadian experiences he never could have imagined. He holds out hope, as impossible as it may seem, that maybe one day his family will too. To bring my family one day to live, to join me, and I dream about that, and that one day I will wake up in the morning and have a cup of coffee with my mother or my siblings. Jay Durant, Global News. Well, we hope that happens for you. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. No glowing sunset behind Christy tonight. Uh, what's the latest? Well, it is a bit drizzly once again, so we'll see that into tomorrow morning. It's kind of a day where you need to bring a rain jacket just in case, but it will be mostly dry. It's Saturday that's going to be wet, but we finish off the long weekend nicely. Nice. All right. Thanks very much, Christy, and thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all.